You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target had superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kong Lao. Lord Raider. The fate of Earth is in our hands. No matter how many of my people you put in the ground, Beauty. Hi everybody and welcome once again to Geekfest Friends. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to take a look at a couple of movies and a book. By that I mean I recently watched Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. It's the, the 2021 version not the other version the older one either of those previous films and i'm going to talk about it because i'm gonna say i was mildly surprised (laughs) at the entertainment value of this film it's something i never would have guessed that i would kind of like could be a guilty pleasure but you're gonna have you know my opinion on it you know again coming off of a guy who never played the video game, and never watched those two other films, I'll give you a little bit of input on it. 
Then there's another movie I watched recently in one of the streaming channels, The Girl with All the Gifts. Once again, pretty surprised, uh, not only in the manner of how I found it and, the, and, and who participated in this film, and the fact that it's, wow, when you think they cannot make any more good zombie films or some kind of a twist or a, or, or a different take on that genre, well, here they did. They actually succeeded in giving it enough of a twist to kind of make it like, wow, this is really interesting. Very, very cool movie. Very simple. If you have any uh, of the streaming services, you might be able to catch it. Then we kind of going to flip things a little bit on the side because we're going to look at the movie The Martian in terms of the book. How did those two differ? How are they the same? Which one I enjoyed the best? Boy, I really remember loving the film, and I still do, and, and I have the extended edition of the film, and I was like, great, I can watch a little more of it, and you know, more scenes than great, which I love. And then, all of a sudden, I get the book, start reading it, and oh my god, I wish they would have turned this into a sequel or, or a four-hour film or something like that, because there is just so much more in the book that is just gold. So let's get started with Mortal Kombat. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Right, our first film is Mortal Kombat, the 2021 version. I know there there have been other versions I have not seen, the, the 1990s, the mid-late 90s versions, I understand. The first one was somewhat popular, not exactly a blockbuster, but the second one I hear was pretty bad, pretty awful. I had not seen either one of those. I am aware of the video game. I remember seeing the video game. I seriously doubt I ever played it. As you guys probably know, I mentioned before, I'm not really a gamer. I wasn't a gamer when I was young. I mean, I dabbled on some basic, older kind of games. You know, your Pac-Man, your Asteroids, you know, your 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 basic food groups of video game, arcade games. But I wasn't much of a home player other than my Atari 2600 to a certain extent. But... I've never followed it through. I never continued it, you know, with the more modern versions. And then, obviously, you know, I, I do remember that Mortal Kombat was an arcade game that had, I don't know what generation you would call it, second generation, third generation graphics, I don't know. They weren't the Pac-Man <laughs> asteroids kind of things that I grew up with. It was more of the, the you know, the next wave, a little more realistic looking, absolutely nothing absolutely nothing like what you're used to these days but it was that i think it was was that called 8-bit i think it was called 8 i don't know anyway what little i knew of the video game was that it was basically a series of one-on-one -on -one fights i think 
because you, I don't know if you could fit more than two players on a console between these very different kind of fighters. And they would be pretty, pretty violent fights. I guess maybe that was the appeal. I don't know. But the characters were very different and they all had these different extra powers that the other one didn't have. So that's how you kind of pit them against each other. But anyway, that has never been on my radar. So to watch this movie, to me, it's almost like watching a comic book, a Marvel or a DC type of movie, because I am aware it has a backstory in terms of it has a following, it has a history, and this is a reiteration, a reboot, a remake, a reimagining. Again, fill in the blank, whatever you want to call it. So not only are they playing to people like myself who've never seen this before, but they're also heavily relying on on dollars, <laughs> mega dollars, from the people that are coming back because they want more of it, the people that are used to it, people that are already fans of this. So again, in my particular case, no idea what I'm getting myself into. I did hear rumblings that they were putting this thing together, and it was like, okay, whatever, next. And I knew that at some point it was going to be released in the movie theater, and it was going to be one of these dual... HBO Max things where they would release it also on HBO Max. And I've already seen a few of these films like this, which I was glad I did on HBO Max. I saw, oh my God, Wonder Woman 1984, which I'm very glad I saw on HBO Max and didn't waste my money on the movie theater. I saw Godzilla vs. King Kong, which I'm glad I saw it in HBO Max and not in the movie theater. It was a little disappointed. It was, to me, probably one of the weakest of all of those King Kong Godzilla films uh, they put out. For me, the... Uh, let me think. Skull Island was probably my favorite. Then the Godzilla film, the first one. And then I would throw this one and the King of All Monsters. I would put those kind of together in terms of my favorites. But who cares what I think anyway? HBO Max seems to work for me in terms of not having to go to the movie theater and, and spending, you know, the price of my ticket or sometimes the price of my ticket and my son or my wife or whoever happens to go with me and then watching it for free. I mean, not free. I'm obviously I'm paying for HBO. So I, that's how I get HBO Max. But this was a movie that I was like, you know what? It's HBO Max. You know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not going to be a fan of this, and but I do want to see what they do with it. Uh, you know, is there a way of, of of modernizing it to make it a little more relevant without becoming something kind of silly, you know, to me like Transformers or something that kind of turned into something else? So I gave it a shot. And I was surprised that a couple days ago, before the premiere on HBO Max, they did a sneak peek of the first seven minutes. And I watched that. And man, was I surprised because the first seven minutes centers around a character. I guess he's in Japan and he's being attacked by a Chinese foe of his and they're fighting and it ends with his family being killed and he's, and he kind of burst into flames, you know, because he's hurt and these, you know, the main bad guy has these ice powers that he can kind of summon ice and and he's using ice as as weapons the and the other guy seems to have something to do with fire but we don't really get to see much of his firepowers let's say 
but they are doing a lot of traditional like martial arts kind of fighting. And one of the things that surprised me the most that I had completely forgotten about was the fact that this was going to be a R-rated film. And the fights are very good and very entertaining and they're very violent, which is something that kicks it up a notch in terms of, you know, seeing this kind of stuff. Because when you're dealing with supernatural kind of powers for some of these fighters, you know, you kind of like put it all out there and you're like, yeah, whatever, anything can happen, no matter how silly it is. But the fact that you're seeing these guys getting (laughs) completely obliterated, you know, kind of makes it a little more dangerous and a little more realistic, if you will, maybe. I don't know if you want to go that way. But anyway, got to watch the movie a couple days later, watched it from the start to end. And, you know, I'm not going to go into super detail of of the plot. Basically, you have... This thing that happened in the past, in the 1600s or whatever, which was those first seven minutes that I watched, an evil clan destroying another clan. I don't know if it was a good clan or whatever. And now you're kind of in modern times and you have your lead actor who's a um, like a like a mixed martial art a fighter who's not the best. He's, he's got some issues. He's, he's getting his butt kicked. But for whatever reason, he's tied into this other thing that's happening. He has this tattoo that makes him special. And what's happening is that you have these otherworldly kind of battles going on between the supernatural fighters. And there's supposed to be this thing where the best fighters come to fight the best fighters from all these different worlds. And Earth happens to be one of these worlds. And... Again, I can't really get too deep into this. All you got to know is that they're going to pit a certain amount of people against a certain amount of people. And some of these Earth ones don't even know what we're dealing with at this point. In other words, they don't even understand the superpowers part of it. And they don't even have the superpowers as opposed to these other ones that are already kind of in the know. So some of the good guy superpower guys, uh, you know, start to kind of train and work with these Earth people. And by Earth, I'm talking about, again, this isn't like space. This is kind of like... I can't even explain it. It's like the the underworld and the outer world and the, you know, all these terms that they have that just kind of like makes it a little complicated, but it doesn't matter because you just want to see people kicking each other's asses. That's it. That's what you want to see. And on the surface, I'm going to tell you, it's silly. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. But what made it a little better, and this is going to fall under the guilty pleasures side of movies for me are movies that are they're kind of bad but they're kind of good (laughs) and it's not that they're good because they're so bad is that they're good because they have some good elements to them that kind of work you can kind of see somebody taking a movie like this and making it a lot better but you can also kind of see them making it a lot worse granted this movie gets extra credit like most superhero films let's say because you might be dealing with a with an origin story where you have the time to develop the background of all these characters on the good guy side you have and i'm gonna forget a few i'm sure i am your main mma fighter which i'm told he's not even a character in you know from the game he's like an an original character you have this lady who's kind of like a soldier 
She has no superpowers until later on she develops like these rings that pop up. So they give her these special rings around her wrist that give her super strength or whatever. I don't know. Uh, you have a this guy that loses his arms, this big muscular African-American guy. And then they, they kind of graft on these robotic arms and he kind of gets them to grow to be even bigger than they were. That's his big thing. He's super crazy strong. Then you have a guy who at first is with the good guys, but he's kind of a creep. Uh, and he's got this scarred face. He's also kind of like a, like a mercenary or something. And then he develops this like uh, laser eye. He can shoot lasers out of one of, the, one of his eyes and then turns into a bad guy. Okay, I'm assuming this is all part of the, the, the original formula of the story. Then you have the guys that are already in the know, that, that, that come from these other worlds. There's like a leader guy who uh, kind of has like lightning. He, he kind of appears through lightning and he can summon lightning and he can shoot lightning. Then there's another guy that throws a hat. He's got this hat that is like super sharp, can cut through a lot of stuff. He's in this too. And then there's another guy that has a like control of fire that can throw like fireballs. So there's your good guys. Your bad guys, similar to this. All these weird, weird, again, crazy powers. But the overall structure here, the overall arc is that the kid the mma fighter basically is the long long descendant of this guy in the beginning in japan that uh was his family was massacred except for one child that survived and you know i guess through time he ends up being the, the descendant of this guy so he's there to help him you know fight in this ongoing celestial struggle or whatever the hell it is again it sounds awful <laughs> if you're reading this it sounds awful at least to me if you watch the original films i'm sure you're not going to be like oh yeah i want some of this <laughs> with that said i do promise i am going to watch the original one i, I think i saw it either on hbo max or on peacock or somewhere uh, streaming so i am going to hit it but between the fighting between the kind of origin stories that are kind of neat uh, between the acrobatics that they do with the powers. They do these weird things where they're able to, like, like there's one, there's this thing where the, the guy that makes the ice, I think Sub-Zero is his name, he injures somebody and a, a spurt of blood comes out out of the injured one. And as it comes out, it freezes into a, a cone shaft shaped thing and he uses it as a as a stabbing weapon it's like he's he's stabbing a guy with frozen blood it's it's very inventive how how they do these things there was another uh, scene where the guy is shooting at him and the guy is so close that he's able to freeze the bullet not just the bullets the the shrapnel that's kind of coming out of the gun out of this big rifle looking thing and he's able to kind of stop it all, like a foot away from the gun itself. They do a lot of cool little tricks like that. And like I said, it's R-rated. That means that the violence is, whoa, over-the-top kind of violence. So, you know, you're dealing with very graphic stuff here. You know, we're not splitting the atom here, but it was entertaining. And it's like, 
yeah, I, I actually do want to see more of this. I, I wouldn't mind watching another one. I don't know if I'll pay to see it in a movie theater, but in a situation like this, whether it's an HBO Max scenario or down the line, just a regular cable or streaming premiere type of deal, yeah, I wouldn't mind watching another one. I'm sure there's tons of stuff that I missed because I'm not a fan. I'm sure there's a ton of Easter eggs and cameos and little things. Like the end of the, the movie ends with a shot of a poster where I guess they're hinting at who the good guy is going to go meet. And from what I understand, that is a very known, well-known character in the game that he's going to go and meet. So I get that. But I'm sure there's tons of other things. I have to look it up. I'm sure that's out there. But it's not going to mean much to me because of the fact that I'm not familiar with it. But by watching the uh, the the previous films, maybe I'll get a little bit of, of the background that I'm missing right now. But I'm sure that the previous films were also kind of a callback to the game. So you have to be really into the game. The game quotes. There's a couple of quotes that are the type of things that the fans want to hear, you know, weaved into a movie. But again, this is kind of like supernatural fantasy. So you can't take it too serious. And I kind of see it in a way, kind of, like, let's say, when I used to watch, you know, Kung Fu Theater and El Rey, when they had those marathons of, you know, martial arts films, 70s, 80s, that they were all kind of the same, you know, you're dealing with the same time period most of the time, you're dealing with the same limitations of weaponry and fighting, and then you had all these creative, wacky things, the flying guillotine, or, you know, these weird weapons and situations where characters would have to adapt. That's what this kind of reminded me of, of the, you know, you get your traditional martial arts, but you also get inventive new ways that are so out there but entertaining at the same time uh, where you get to see people fighting in that mode if you want realism you have to go somewhere else if you want martial arts and realism and by realism i'm talking about non-supernatural realism or non-fantasy realism you got to go to something like um i don't know maybe like a john wick movie where you see a lot of hand-to-hand combat the raid oh my god if you watch I, I couldn't recommend The Raid and, and the sequel to The Raid uh, enough because there you have your realistic fighting in a modern setting, super stylized with no fantasy or supernatural elements to it, even within itself. I'm sure it's way over the top than it should be. But if you want to kind of go back to that traditional old <laughs> Kung Fu theater kind of fighting, I think this might just be a good entry point into it or a good way of getting back to those over-the-top classic kind of films. My second film today is The Girl with All the Gifts. Once again, another streaming service find. Don't know exactly how, and I forget which channel exactly I saw it on, but I know it was one that had the little icon that tells you like the Rotten Tomato score. And this is something that, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because like Netflix used to have a, like a rating system and then it kind of went away. Or I think they might have even had the, the, the Rotten Tomato icons also. And those kind of went away. And I know there's been a lot of controversies about how some movies are inflated on purpose to make them look better and people see them. And 
and vice versa. You know, you get a whole bunch of weird stuff happening with the with the uh, freshness meter of, of Rotten Tomatoes. But for whatever reason, I'm scrolling through stuff, looking for something to watch. And I see the picture, I see the icon of the movie, and it, it looks kind of weird. It looks like somebody's wearing a, a Hannibal Lecter mask. And the little Rotten Tomato thing had something like an 86% approval. I don't know if it was the critic or the or the audience. I wasn't sure which one. So I'm like, you know what? Let's, let me take a look here. So I, I plop it on. What the hell? I know it's some kind of a apocalyptic zombie-ish kind of thing. I was like, yeah, well, you know, how many good zombie movies can they really make anymore? You know, I, I've seen a couple of good ones. Last Train to Busan was one. Then there was another one called, I think it was called Alive. I could be wrong, which was about a, some people in a building uh, that are trying to figure out a way of getting out of a building, like a building complex. They're kind of stuck between two buildings. That was a good one too. I think they were both, oh man, I think they might've been Korean films. I'm not entirely sure. So, Anyway, I'm again. I'm I'm like well, with a subject like the the Walking Dead, you know, the zombie genre, can they really do anything else with it? Now, this is a British film, a lot of British actors, and basically the story you have here is that it's a little confusing at first because you're like, there's this appears to be this kind of like an underground complex where run by the military, and all these little kids are being treated like prisoners. They're being brought into like a classroom, strapped to wheelchairs, and they're being taught as a classroom setting. And something is wrong with these kids. And one particular kid that we focus the story on, she is like super polite, super friendly, but you can tell the soldiers are super scared of what's going on and and them and the people and the kids. And there are doctors kind of like running tests on these kids and trying to figure stuff out. And then you kind of figure out what the story is about. And that is that it's been, I think they said it's been like 20 years since some kind of a, not a walking dead scenario, not of of a dead coming back to life scenario. It's more of an infection where healthy people get infected and then they start acting very violent and they continue to act very violent and they, they, they get like super strength almost in terms of how violent they get to the point where they basically die eventually because their body just rots after a a long time of not being, I guess, fed or whatever. The body just starts to fall apart. But while they're still active, they're acting like these crazy zombie kind of characters. If you remember the movie 28 Days Later, that kind of crazy zombie, the fast zombie uh, model, if you will. This movie reminded me a lot of 28 Days Later because of the setting, because of the, the budget, because of the locations, because of the actors. There's a lot of that in this film as far as I'm concerned. And that's one of the best things about this film. So you, again, you're not dealing with dead coming back to life. You're dealing with people that get this infection. Now, what are these kids doing here? Because what's happening at the same time as you have outside this complex, you have all these hordes of infected people trying to get in. These kids seem to show signs of this disease, but not the way that the outside people are showing it. These kids seem to have it kind of like under control. But if they smell or get too close to a regular human being, they start to get this hunger that they have to kind of like bite into somebody and and start eating them. And then once they've eaten, they kind of come back down to normal. Well, 
through the movie, we start to learn of how this functions, how this 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 disease works, and that the point of this lab that they're under is to try to figure out a cure, obviously. There's a couple of somewhat known actors, but one particularly <laughs> gigantically known actor in the mix, and that is Glenn Close. I would have never thought in a million years that Glenn Close would do a movie like this. And that is probably one of the reasons why maybe this movie is so good. Now, the movie was based on a book. So there is a background to this. In other words, this wasn't just popped out of nowhere. This was a book that was written. I guess it was pretty popular enough to be purchased and turned into a movie. And she somehow got her name attached to it. She plays like the, the lead doctor, the lead scientist in the mix there, trying to come up with this cure. Well, cut to the chase. The outside zombies <laughs> break into, somehow break into the compound, overrun the compound. So a couple of people, including this little girl, are able to escape. And they're trying to basically get to an area where they can kind of reattach themselves to another military platoon or something. But in the meantime, they have to travel through parts of, I think it was London. I'm not sure. I don't remember too well. But it's in England. So they have to go through like the countryside and then they have to go through the city. And obviously through this, you start to encounter all these different scenarios of things that are happening. Again, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but as you progress with the story, the little girl, she is really, really good in terms of her role because she is so friendly and so honest. And the other people are so terrified of her. It's a very interesting dynamic. And then you start to learn about other kids that are potentially out there in the wild, living on their own. And you start to learn more about this fungus that infected everything and now seems to be going through a, a like a third metamorphosis. In other words, first you have the people that get infected and, and, and start running around like crazy. Then you have these kids who are infected, but don't show any of the signs or, or, or of the uh, decomposing of their bodies type of symptoms. They just kind of go wacky every now and then when they need to eat. But then we find out about, about a third stage of what is happening here with this fungus, this, this thing that's changing humanity that is really, really interesting. And again, to me, it felt a lot like 28 Days Later. It's kind of like Wow, when you don't have the insane budget, but you do have a pretty good story, how it works out. It's not just another rehash, as far as I'm concerned, of the zombie genre. I think it was a very good entry into, you know, some of the best ones. And again, it depends on what you consider to be some of the best ones. I was very surprised, like I said, by these other two Korean films, that, wow, you could really do something new and different with it. But remember, for every good one, there's probably 20 horrible ones. And most of them live right now in a streaming service. If you go down the streaming I mean, some of them even have zombie categories where you can just go through 20 or 30 zombie films that <laughs> you never probably heard of them and you probably will never watch. But every now and then, pop, you know, you get one that's like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty good. So I would definitely recommend this one because... It actually is a smart, different take on the whole thing. It is not so much an action piece like Last Train to Busan or even Alive, but 
it is better with the characters and with the story and the reason. Because a lot of times, you know, especially, again, if you go back to Walking Dead, the, the granddaddy of the of the modern zombie renaissance, one of the more frustrating things about it is the fact that you probably never really get to the bottom of the issue of why this happened. Well, this movie tells you exactly from the beginning why this is happening or how this is happening. And it's not, it is technically not a zombie film. It's not a some dead thing comes back to life thing. No, it's this alive thing that's slowly dying. <laughs> it's different. But, you know, if you want to take a shot at a, a new inventive take on that subject, here's one for you. Matu, Mirada, you must burn the books, Montag. The books have nothing to say. When I was your age, television was called books. You, Mr. Bemis, are a reader. A, a reader? A reader. A reader of books, magazines, periodicals, newspapers. We haven't talked about books based on films or films based on books in a while. So let's take a shot at The Martian. Recently, I started reading the book by Andy Weir. And I remember the film. I, I really enjoy the film. The film was a fun film. And it it kind of it, it moved fast. The film was a very quick I mean, it was a long film. I think it was at least over two hours long, but it seemed to move pretty fast. I mean, it is a Ridley Scott film. And I do remember the film had a lot of things that were very reminiscent of Prometheus. The outer world setting, the uh, rover, you know, the vehicle that they're traveling in, the suits that they're wearing. Uh, a lot of the technology to me seemed to carry over from one movie to the other. But, I mean, that was just coincidence that they happened to be so close, you know, these two films. Obviously, they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. But in this scenario, in this case, where normally I like to find the movie adaptation to see if there's additional stuff that was in the original script, let's say, that eventually didn't make it to the film, this is a completely different story. This is basically a book that was written that got turned into a movie, not the other way around. So... Kind of like a, you know, kind of like the, the book for Jaws and stuff like that. There's these other things that happen. The movie as a whole is remarkably close to what the book does. I would say, and as usual, we spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, you know, you might want to skip some of these plot points, especially at the end, towards the end. But if you've seen the movie, you know, this might interest you hopefully in, in, in reading the book. The book is it's great. It's an awesome, awesome book. I'm so glad I read it. The movie is basically told in sequential order in terms of they're in Mars, there's this big storm, he gets stranded because of the storm, everybody leaves, you know, that kind of thing. And then he, you know, you go through all the steps of how can he get himself back home. The book starts a little bit forward. It starts with him already being stranded and not knowing what to do, and kind of putting things, patching things back together to get himself to some kind of a living condition. And then you kind of flashback to the mission and how he got stranded. So that's a little bit of a repositioning of events. No big deal that the events happen pretty much exactly the same 
as they do in the book. There is plenty and plenty of extra detail. And this is one of the things about this book and one of the charms of the book. And I'm assuming maybe this is how this writer works. And as a matter of fact, I, I just ordered his second book. And I'm hoping that it's going to be in a similar fashion, the style of how he writes. But when it comes to the science, this guy researches the crap out of it and gives it to you. So in other words, as Watney is trying to figure out, and that's Matt Damon's character, as he's trying to figure out how to survive and how to make things work, you get his thought process. You get a lot of his thought process of him doing the calculations, and he is almost teaching because, see, in the book, it's like he's writing a log in case somebody finds it or in case he survives of what happened on all these specific days of him leading to what he was doing. You know, the first chunk of the film, he's trying just to kind of stabilize the situation. The second part of the film, he's trying to kind of figure out how to make his food last, you know, until the next mission comes to pick him up. Because that's the plan at this point. And then he realizes, obviously, he doesn't have enough food, so he's going to have to grow these potatoes that he has with him. And so that's part of that. Then things go haywire, and he has to resort to a different plan. So as he's doing all these things in the book, we get his log writings of, you know, day number 18. He called, They called him Saul, S-O-L. Uh, 36, 37, 38, you know, so forth and so forth. At the same time, in the book, you also get snapshots of what's going on at NASA and snapshots of what's going on on the ship that just left that you know they that they thought that he had died so you you kind of bounce between three different places at times or more you know depending on the on what you're talking about but like i said it it it's pretty much you know beat by beat what's going on in the book i would say about 3 quarters into the book once you get about 3 quarters into the book and this is after he has exhausted his his food supply, the devastating uh, explosion that rendered most of those potatoes dead. And there is a plan to have a resupply ship come a little early just to at least drop them off food until the next one. That ship explodes, never gets to him, this unmanned ship. So they're like, we don't know what to do at this point. We don't know what to do. And they come up with a plan, which, you know, obviously you have other characters in the, in the book and the, in the movie, obviously. And the plan is for the ship that's on its way home, don't stop at home. Kind of loop around Earth and shoot back out again. Loop around Earth, resupply, and shoot back out to him. So the trick is to make his food last and his air and you know all the things that he needs to make them last enough so that he can get to a different site in Mars to then use a different ship that's been sitting there and to kind of, you know, launch himself to space and rendezvous with his ship. That's the general plan. Now, what happens is that in the book and in the movie, he has to modify his rover to be able to bring a whole bunch of supplies that he's going to need, you know, to get to the other location. And here's a big thing that changes in the movie. As he's prepping his transport vehicle, he accidentally short circuits this other device that he has that enables him to communicate with NASA. So that means that for a big chunk of this part of the mission, you know, of him traveling from his initial location to his new launch location, which takes many, many days to get there, 
Um, he will be completely without communications. So that is something that it's, it's very dramatic. And in the book, you know, you go through this whole thing of, oh my God, they can't talk to each other. He's now doing everything on his own again, because at first he's doing everything on his own, then he's getting help. And, and little by little, they start developing a communication system. In the movie, they kind of Fast forward that a little bit. They don't spend too much time with the nitty gritty details of this communication system. But in the book, he shorts it out and the thing is dead. And so now he has to take, make that trip without it. Again, while he's making that trip, he also runs into some uh, loose soil that makes his rover flip over. And there's a whole bunch of stuff having to do with how he gets that rover to flip back over and to, you know, what's been damaged, what hasn't been damaged. And also the reason why he takes certain paths is because there's a storm coming that could potentially completely wipe him out or delay him enough to miss the, the rendezvous time. So he's got to figure out on his own which way the storm is coming by going to all these different locations and taking all these different kind of readings from his um, solar collectors, which at least it gives him the proper location of where the storm is so he can then drive around the storm. Again, this is after he already flipped his vehicle. So there's a lot of drama that takes place on that trip from location one to location two. In the movie, they completely bypass that, completely. In the movie, it's almost like a, a music montage, a travel montage of him just traveling, happily traveling, and here and there and doing his thing. Uh, but they completely bypass all those, those, those things. However, they do add something new that I didn't see in the book as much, and that is the wear and tear on his body that all of this is doing to him. He's getting very skinny. He's getting all kinds of sores and you know on his body. You know, he's a little weaker than usual. So they're showing you a little bit of that. And apparently there was a lot more of that that Ridley Scott cut out of the movie. I think he said the movie would have been like two hours and 45 minutes. And the movie ended up being two hours. So he cut out at least a half hour, at least a half hour worth of stuff. But then when they did the special edition of the film, the extended cut, they added 10 more minutes. So even with those 10 more minutes, there's tons of other stuff that he shot that never necessarily made it to the final cut or the extended cut. So anyway, he gets to the location. He's ready to, you know, take off and do all that stuff, you know, in order to do the rendezvous. And towards the end, you know, he does shoot up in the air and he is trying to do the rendezvous and the ship is, his speed is not correct because of the fact that the flap because they remove the front of the ship, he has this cloth, this uh, tarp, that is causing the speed to change, to fluctuate, thereby throwing off the math of where they're going to meet. And the the larger ship has to adjust and do all these crazy things. They have to blow a hatch and, eva- and vent out the, you know, the air so that the ship can slow down a little bit. That worked. They did it. It works perfectly great. Before doing that, one of the suggestions he makes, this is in the book, is, well, to, to compensate or to slow down or to speed himself up so they can match speeds, he says, why don't I uh, take off my glove or put a hole in my glove and use the escaping oxygen to get me those extra, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 meters that, that he, they think they're going to miss because of the speed variation. And they're like, no, 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 that's crazy. Instead, we're going to do this. We're going to vent the ship out. So instead of you going crazy, you know, and they call it Iron Man style, by having a jet come off his glove, let's do it with the ship. And that's what they do in the book. In the movie, they do the plan, but they're still short. In other words, when they reach out to grab him, they're still too far away. Plus, they use a different person. 
in the movie, they use the captain, I think Lewis was her name, to be the one that goes out there. And I guess the reasoning is, first of all, it's more dramatic because, you know, she's, she feels the guiltiest of all of them for leaving him behind and she feels responsible, blah, blah, blah. So she's the one who's going out there instead of a different character that was supposed to go get him. In the book, the character goes out, gets him, grabs him inside his little tiny ship that's full of holes so he can get in there and pulls him out and brings him back in. Here, she goes out to get him, but the tether is not long enough. They cannot reach. So that's when, again, drama, 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 made for film, made for a better action sequence, if you will, which is the thing that really drives the movie. The movie is a, it's kind of like an action vehicle in a way. You know, you want that drama. You want to amp up the drama. What they do in the movie is she can't reach, he can't get there, so he cuts a piece of his glove. So he can create that Iron Man effect of, of having the, the propulsion coming off his glove and him being able to sort of control it to get close enough so she can grab him and they can both kind of tether themselves back into the ship. And that's how they resolve the issue, you know, in the book versus the movie. The book also basically ends with him reaching the ship, coming inside the ship, and being welcomed by everybody. And that's the end of the story as far as the book goes. The movie takes it a few steps further. It, it gives you, uh, I would call it the, the Lord of the Rings kind of ending in a way. They give you a, like an epilogue, let's say, where he is now teaching at NASA, you know, for, for, for recruits, you know, survival techniques and this and that. And then as the credit roll, uh, and the music starts in the movie, they give you these uh, shots of uh, what the other characters are doing. So some of them are are with their families. At the same time, the, the next Mars mission is ready to go up. And uh, Martinez, which is the pilot from, from this story, is in that ship. The rest of them are all at home or doing other jobs and that sort of thing. And you see everybody doing their own thing. So that makes it interesting. Again, in the book, you don't get that. That that part, you don't you don't get that part. Another interesting tidbit of the film that is really awkwardly weird, I think. There's a scene where they're unveiling, and this is part of the book, what the plan is for that ship to do instead of come back to Earth to, to kind of loop around and go back. And they call that the plan, I think they call it the, the, the something of Elrod. And somebody's like, what the hell is that? It's like, oh, it's the, you know, it's the Fellowship of the Ring. You know, it's the, it's, that's what it's named after, which is cute in the book. It's like, okay, because the guy's a super, you know, geeky kind of nerd who, who comes up with it. And he's, he's a genius, you know, uh, engineer or something or whatever. In the movie, one of the guys that plays the NASA main people is Sean Bean. Sean Bean was in Lord of the Rings. He's a very big character in Lord of the Rings, especially the first one. And he was part of that fellowship of that Council of Enrod or whatever it was. And somebody asks the question, what is that? And somebody does say, oh, it's from Lord of the Rings. And it's funny, but it kind of brings you out of the movie a little bit because it kind of like, oh, shoot, that's the actor they're talking about his other role. They're not supposed to, but I don't know. It's it's just kind of, it, it brought you out. It, it, it made it very clear of who he was. Anyway, like I said, read the book. This book is so great. It is the, exactly the type of thing you want. When you enjoy a movie and you wish you could have spent more than two hours in this world that they created, this is a perfect, perfect example. This book, all of the things, like if something takes... 30 seconds in the movie, the book could take you, you know, it could be uh, two chapters. 
there is so much more detail about all the things he has to do in order to achieve something. Uh, there's a scene where his, I think his helmet gets cracked. And in the movie, he just takes a couple uh, pieces of duct tape and kind of patches it up like that. In the book, he has to do all these crazy things. He has to cut like the arm of his um, astronaut suit and patch it and glue it in order to get it in there in order to be able to use that cloth to, to fix part of the, the hole in his helmet. There's so many things that he does. In the extended edition, like I said, it's only about 10 more minutes longer. And there are even other deleted scenes that never made it to the, like I said, to the extended edition. And Ridley Scott said, like I said, that there are probably about another half hour worth of stuff that he cut out. And obviously the reason you cut it out is because you know, movies, you know, you don't, they don't really like it when you go a little over two hours, two hours, you're pushing it when you go over two hours. No movie theater wants a three hour long movie. But this would have been such a great film if it was a, a two part. I would have, that, that would have, I would have liked to seen that. A two part movie where you can really dig a little deeper into the book. There were entire other sequences where he has to figure out where there's a leak and he has to, like, you know, go step by step and, and see where the smoke goes to so he can trace the leaks. And then he has to glue these leaks and then he has to repressurize and all this other stuff. Uh, all these things where he has to sleep out in the in the transport vehicle because he's afraid something's going to blow up inside. All these, when he's taking that trip at the end, he has like this separate inflatable thing uh, that he's kind of being uh, trying to sleep there or work there because he's so cramped inside the other vehicle and he's going to be there for such a long period of time. Again, so many factors at play that would have been great if they went. There's a whole other sequence where they're trying to figure out if the plan doesn't work, the ship will not have enough food to get back. Uh, so they kind of figure out who is the most likely to live and who is the most likely to have to kill themselves so that person could eventually eat them. Again, there's so many other factors at play that are just so great in this. And this, yes, this would have been a great two-part movie or miniseries. Again, the type of stuff that I mentioned before that they do with, for example, Justice League, Snyder's Justice League, the fact that they, you could watch it, you know, uh, I watched it over three nights, that's the type of thing that would have been cool for this is this is I mean, I wouldn't surprise me if they turn this into a miniseries one day because it's it has so much more material that could have given you more. But at the same time, the movie, the movie's great. But it's funny because after reading the book, the movie feels like it's rushed. To me, it felt rushed. It was like, slow down, spend more time, figure out the problems. Show us how you figure out those problems. Don't just go to, you know, music montage <laughs> and just kind of gloss over a couple of chapters that could have been potentially good material. So I would say, don't just go and get this book. Run, order it right away. Go to go to eBay. You get it for three, four bucks. It's great. Can't wait to read his next book when it arrives. And I think there's even another book now that is right about to come out right about now. So I'm like two books behind on this guy. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We started off with a couple of movie reviews. I wish I could be at an actual movie theater watching some of these. But no, these came from streaming services, Mortal Kombat and The Girl with All the Gifts. Two surprisingly interesting films that I recommend. And then we switched over to a comparison of the book The Martian with the movie The Martian and the extended edition of The Martian. 
great, great, great book. Once again, I'll say it again. I ordered his following book. I'm going to start reading that soon. I really wish they would have made this a two-part movie or even a television series, a short series. You never know. Sometime in the future, somebody might turn it into a miniseries, especially with all these streaming services. So you guys got plenty to pick from here to keep you entertained during these summer months. So on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening, and we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates, and to NASA, and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Here's the rub. It's going to be four years for another mission to reach me. And I'm in a hat designed to last 31 days. So I got to make water and grow food on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, then none of this matters anyway. We've got an incoming message. Mein Gott. <laughs> Mark Watney is still alive. In your face, Neil Armstrong. There must be some kind of way out of here. Okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help. So I'm gonna have to science the shadows. He's 50 million miles away from home. He's totally alone. What the hell is he thinking right now? I am the greatest botanist on this planet. I know how to save Mark Watney. But we need the Hermes crew. We either have a high chance of killing one or a low chance of killing six. I'm not risking their lives. It's bigger than one person. No, it's not. NASA rejected the mission. So if we do this? We're talking mutiny. If anything goes wrong, we die. Do you realize how crazy this is? We have no other option. No matter what happens, tell the world, tell my family, that I never stop fighting to make it home. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2021. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>